At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Many of us often wonder if going to church is worth it. But what if we told you God has a beautiful design for the church that very much includes you? The book of 1 Timothy speaks to these truths. And if each of us submits to them, our church will function as the loving family God intends. Join us this week as we look at the answers to the question, Church, why bother? All right, this morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I want to encourage you to turn with me um, to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 5, beginning in verse 17 this morning. And we are currently in this series where we've been taking a look at church. Why bother? Why, Why is the church still so important today? Why do we do these things? Why do we gather on Sunday morning and worship together and hear the word of the Lord proclaimed? Why do we do these things? And we've been in this series now. This is the eighth week. And sometimes when we get into series like these, it's difficult for us uh, to kind of encapsulate all that's already been been shared. And so I'm not going to spend time this morning rehashing all that's been shared. But as a pastor, sometimes we get into like an eight-week series, especially a series like this. And one of the difficulties I find is that it's difficult at times to, to remind us that Christ is at the center of all these things. Right? Especially in this, we, we come to this letter that Paul writes to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor who's stepping into his first pastorate, and Timothy's, or Paul's giving Timothy instructions about how the church is supposed to operate and how the church is supposed to live. And sometimes in the midst of like getting into the weeds of like church life and what that looks like, sometimes we can, can forget that the gospel is at the center of all those things. Right? I've had a, a preaching pastor that one time said, you haven't preached until you've preached Christ. In any passage that you come to in the word of God, you have to preach Christ. Everything points to Christ. And so today as we jump into this passage, I don't want us to forget the fact that all of this happens because of what Christ has done. Christ is our only Hope. Jesus is the one who gave of his life freely, took on flesh, lived a perfect life with the sole purpose of going to a cross to pay for our sins. And on the cross, amazing exchange took place. All of our sin, all of your sin, all of my sin was placed on Jesus. And Jesus endured the wrath of God. What was due us, Jesus took it. And then Jesus died and was raised again. And now Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father where he has been exalted because of what he has done. Now we too can have peace with God if we repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of this. And then when we do place our faith in Jesus Christ, what happens is we become adopted as sons of God and God gives us the opportunity to live in the community called the church. And so we have each other. The church is a gift. The church is not a building, but the church is the people. The church is you and I who covenant together to live life together, doing ministry, walking in the ways of Christ together. So as we're deep in the weeds today, as we're into the end of chapter five, I don't want us to forget that Christ is what makes all of this possible. 
that he takes us in our sinful state, in our sin and in our shame, and he forgives us, and he gives us a new life, and he gives us a new name. All right, this morning, if we are jumping into this series, I want us to to think about how in life it is easy for us to honor, right? Like when we get around to May, one of the ways in which we obey God's commands to, to honor and obey our parents is to honor our mothers through Mother's Day. Right? It's one of those days, it's the day of the year where you set aside, where you write your mom a card or you remember her sacrifice and you're like, mom, thank you so much for being mom. Thank you for just doing all the things that you do. Mom, thank you for wearing all the different hats that you've worn in life. You're CEO of the family. You are the Uber of the family. You are the cook of the family. You are all, like it gives us an opportunity to say, mom, thank you. Thank you for who you are. And thank you for all that you've done. It's easy for us to honor moms, right? Because we see their impact in our lives. And I'll tell you, for a mom, there's no greater honor for a mom than to see her children walking in the ways of her. Right? A mom knows that she's done her job when she sees her kids growing up and still walking in the ways and in the paths that they set before her. So we know what it is and what it's like to honor moms, but today I want to ask us this question, do we know how to honor leaders in the church? Wait, some, giving honor is, is something we know, right? Like if we see a great athlete who has completed their career, we know how to honor them because they go into the Hall of Fame. Right? We, we know how to honor uh, great business people and people that have done great things for society and history and culture and all those things. We, we are people that understand honor but do we understand today how are we are to honor those leaders in our church? And specifically, how do we honor our pastors? Now, I didn't choose this as the passage to preach today. It's, we're preaching through the book, and so it just happens. I just happen to get a chance to preach this today. And so it's really awkward for me. I'll just, I'm just going to be real honest with you. For those of you that know me, you know this is super awkward for me. So let's sit in this awkwardness together, and uh, I'm going to mostly generically talk about the role of pastor because I don't want to talk about myself, okay? This. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go sit down now. <laughs> Today, as we look at this passage, what I want us to see is that godly pastors are a gift to the church. This is not something that God has done haphazardly, but God has organized and given this church structure so that the church can grow and flourish and be the blessing to the world. That's why we're here. And one of the ways in which God has organized the church is he's given it structure and leadership, as we've already talked about in this series, through the gift of the offices of pastor slash elder and deacon deaconess. And today we're going to be focusing in on, as Paul is continuing to write to Timothy, giving him instructions, he's talking about the way in which godly pastors are a gift to the church. How is the church supposed to honor this role? How is the church supposed to honor this office? And how do we care for pastors that, that do, are doing it well? And how do we care for pastors when they step outside of God's design? How do, how do we care for them? So those are some of the things that we're going to look at today. 
And we're going to see three truths or three responses of the church family as how we should have towards pastors. So let's begin in in verse 17 of chapter 5. Paul writes, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves its wages. So the first thing that we're going to see is that the church supports its pastors or honors its pastors by supporting them financially. Now, let's not forget that uh, sometimes in, in Scripture we see that the chapters and verses are sometimes arbitrarily put there. When they were written, when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, he didn't write like chapter 5 period, verse one, period, and then write on. No, he just wrote like you and I would write a letter. But these uh, passages and these chapters and verses came much, much later in the development of the Bible. And so I, I don't want us to forget that where this passage is sitting in the greater passage. Remember last week as Pastor Tyler did an amazing job just uh, exhorting the word of God to us, um, he was talking about how we care for widows, Right? And so the, the context is which in, in this passage is how do we care inside the family of God for each other? And so beginning in verse 17, Paul is not starting a new topic, but he's continuing on this topic of caring well inside the family of God. And so specifically now, he wants to talk about those who care for the church. And he's talking about those elders. Now remember, the word elder and pastor in our understanding of scripture are kind of synonymous. Right? They, there's this one role, this one, one office that God has given the church that sometimes is referred to as, as bishop, sometimes is referred to as elder, sometimes referred to in scripture as pastor. And so he's saying, let the elder who rules well. So he's talking about first the, those that serve well in the positions that God has given us. And he's not giving us a distinction here against uh, for elders of saying that there are some elders that rule and there are some elders that don't rule. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying that all elders rule. That's not the distinction. So all elders rule. They're in charge of, of providing leadership for the church, protecting the church from, from theological drift, giving um, support to the church and caring for the church well. And so he's saying, so all elders rule, but he says there is a distinction of those that labor in preaching and teaching. So in our context, what we would say that Paul is writing about is that role of pastor, the one that is the primary teacher of the body of Christ. Now we have elders here that do rule well, but they're not up here preaching on a weekly basis. Uh, That is my calling and that is my role here at our campus. And so he says, let the elder who rules well be considered worthy of double honor. What's he saying here? Is he saying that, that pastors are, 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 should have a double salary like every year? I, I wish. That would be wonderful, right? But that's not what he's saying. He's, he's talking about that this, this idea of the people that rule well in the church, those elders and pastors that, that take care of their responsibilities and hold the ward and people in high esteem that they are to be honored, that they are to be recognized um, through their work. And specifically, it's especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. I love how Paul says this because there's a distinction here of those who serve the church well, but then there are those that labor in preaching and teaching. 
Those that that set their heart out to understand the word of God, that spend time weekly understanding and knowing what God's word says and then taking the time to take this word that sometimes was written a thousand years ago, 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, trying to take this word and then apply it to the cultural context of today. That is a worthwhile task. It is a worthwhile thing to set your heart out to do. This is what Paul is saying. This, this, those that labor towards preaching and teaching, taking this word that may seem static and make it dynamic is an important task. It is a worthwhile task. I know in my own life, I have benefited and been blessed by the labor of pastors that have taken the time to say, this is, what it, this is what the word of God says, this is what the word of God means, and now this is what the word of God calls you to do. Like, that is a worthwhile task. And Paul is saying, those that labor in this are worthy of being able to, to be compensated and are worthy to be cared for well by the church. You see, pastors should not get rich off of preaching but they should be honored and provided for. Paul steps in and gives us this illustration that gives, draws back to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse four, which gives this understanding of, of not, don't muzzle an ox, right? We, we've gotta kinda understand the cultural context of that and make it make sense today. You see, back in the day when, when oxen were used to tread out grain, they would either walk on it in a circle and they would carry with it a, long, a large stone or another something that rolled. What they, their job was is what they were trying to do with whatever the grain was is they were trying to separate the grain from the rest of the plant or the rest of the, the, the chaff. And so by treading on it, what would happen is that they would loosen it all up so that the good grain that were used for bread and for other things and for food and for sustaining other people that that could be harvested from the other stuff. And what, what was happening with the not muzzling the ox, when they would muzzle the ox, they would muzzle the ox so that he wouldn't eat the grain. And what God was, gives instruction to Deuteronomy, and we see Paul doing it the same, is don't muzzle an ox. Like, if an ox is doing the work that benefits the community, why not allow the ox to benefit from it as well? Because you're giving the ox sustenance and provision so that he can continue to do the work that the community gets benefited from. Does that make sense? And this is what he's saying about pastors. Right? The pastors are doing the labor in the word. They're mining nuggets of truth from God's word so that they can bring it to the community. Have you ever been benefited or blessed from the work of a pastor? Like, have you ever come to a church on Sunday morning and sat there and felt like the pastor was speaking directly to you? You know why that is? It's because I have all of your homes bugged. <laughs> totally kidding. That's not the case. Right? When you do the work, when the pastor enters into the spiritual work of mining truth for the congregation, it's going to land because this is a spiritual thing, right? This is God at work. This is God working in your life, working in my life, and together we're seeking to understand God and walk in the truth that he's provided for us. 
So, pastors serve well and they labor well from the church and the church benefits from the teaching of the word. And so this reminds us that the church is responsible for providing for the pastor, providing provisions that sustain the pastor. And this means... In, in, in essence, that the church is responsible for financially providing for the pastor, for spiritually um, supporting the pastor, for physically supporting the pastor, and emotionally supporting the pastor. And I, I can speak from personal experience, because I am a pastor, that this is a labor of love. This is a calling in my life that God has distinctly called in my life the day that he called my name, and the day that he says, Jeff, I'm setting you apart for this ministry, was deeply profound in my life. It has been something that I've sought to honor the Lord well my whole life. Haven't done it perfectly. I've made a lot of mistakes, and I'll continue to make a lot of mistakes. But I know that the Lord has loved me and has called me to this. But I want you to understand a little bit about the pressures that pastors face. This is a tough job. But it's a labor of love. The stresses that goes along with this role and this responsibility are great. And I want to share with you some of um, the statistics that are out there. This is, comes from um, Soul Shepherding, which is a, a group that cares for pastors. And it, this, these are some of the statistics that I hope don't um, help you see some of the things that go on in the life of a pastor. These statistics say 75% of pastors report being extremely stressed or highly stressed. 90% of pastors work between 55 and 75 hours per week. 90% of pastors feel fatigued and worn out every day. 40% of pastors report a serious conflict with a parishioner at least once a month. 80% of pastors will not be in ministry 10 years after they start. And only a fraction of pastors that begin in ministry will end their careers in ministry. 80% of ministry spouses feel left out and unappreciated in their church. Now, she's not here, so I can, I mean, she's here, she's serving, but you are blessed by my wife. And she cares so well for you. I know many of you have talked with her on the phone or got a text from her or been encouraged by her. She's a gift. So encourage her. 77% uh, of pastors feel that they don't have a good marriage. 41% display anger um, and have problems in their marriage. 38% are divorced or are being divorced or in the process of being divorced. 50% of pastors admit to using pornography. And 37% uh, report having inappropriate sexual behavior with someone inside the church. 65% of pastors' families feel like they live in a glass house. And what's cha challenging about that is that kids, the kids of pastors weren't called into that. They didn't get to choose. God chose it for them. 
in a season of their life. And I know for myself, my greatest fear as a pastor is that my kids are gonna grow up and hate the church. I pray against that every single day. Because to me, it feels like the labor that I give to the church, and if I can't care for my kids well in the process of that, I feel like I failed. Now, I wanna give you those statistics, and I want you to know that Woodside is doing a great job of trying to come alongside pastors and support pastors. Right, the burnout that we feel and the burn and the, 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 um, the, the dangers and the challenges that we face, I want you to know that Woodside cares for me well. I feel very well cared for. I'm financially cared for. And the, re- the reason that I'm financially cared for well is because you are caring for me well. When you give, know that a portion of what you give goes to provide for me and my family, and I appreciate that. We also have, have a way of, I don't feel like I'm an isolated pastor as I have in other times in ministry because we have um, our pastors gathered together in what we call hubs. So I'm in a, in a, a hub with uh, four other campuses and we meet together on a monthly basis twice, twice a month and we do soul care for each other. People come, uh, I have other pastors speaking to my life saying, hey, how's your marriage? How are things going at, at your campus? How, how, what are some difficult situations that you're walking through? Are you staying sexually pure? How's your mind? How's your heart? So I have those conversations. People are, are looking into my life, and we have elders here that do the same thing. I meet with our elders, and we do soul care for one another, and we encourage one another as we, we walk together. So we have that. We, I feel like I'm a part of a brotherhood here at Woodside, which I haven't had always in ministry. Also, we also understand here at Woodside that the demands of ministry are difficult. And so we have just started over the past three summers or three years, uh, implemented a sabbatical process, realizing that pastors need a break. And so after you serve here at Woodside for five years, you can um, apply for a sabbatical. And for pastors, that sabbatical lasts eight weeks. And in that time of sabbatical, for eight weeks, you get a chance, before you go into the sabbatical, you get a chance to meet with a, a coach that helps you develop a sabbatical plan. How are, what are you going to do over these eight weeks to help yourself rest in the word, grow in the word, and just care for your family and care for your soul? And uh, it's, it's an exciting thing. It's a wonderful gift. Um, maybe some of you know Pastor Dan, uh, who used to serve here, who's at our Algonac campus. He took sabbatical last summer. And uh, I want to let you know, I've applied for sabbatical this summer. And so I'm in the process of preparing for, for this summer. And I want to let you know uh, that I will be gone for eight weeks this summer, beginning in June and to the end of July. And we're working on setting up the plan for preaching and, and all of that. And I also want to let you know this is not because there's anything's happened that's wrong in my life. Um, I haven't fallen uh, in any way. But this is just a time where things are healthy. Um, but our, our campus is growing. Right, like we we are growing and and we're continuing to see God do some amazing things, and so I need this time away, and I'm excited about this time away, just so that I can spend some time with my family, um, and spend some time in God's Word, while also knowing that I'm going to come back refreshed and ready to to provide and and continue to give that spiritual support. 
So that's how, that's how Woodside has kind of organized itself to care for us as pastors. But I also want to let you know how you yourself encourage me and how you can honor me. And there are two ways that, that you can honor the, the role of, of, of pastor here at our campus. One, nothing honors me more than seeing you walk in the truth. Nothing honors me more. Like when you walk with the Lord and you step out in faith and you do things that you didn't do before, when, when fathers come to me and they're like, they're like, they're like Jeff, I, I, wanna, I wanna shepherd my family well. Teach me how to do this. And then we walk together through that and then they start leading their family well. There's nothing that honors me more than that. And Paul understands this, or not Paul, but John understands this when he writes to Gaius in John chapter three. He says this, for I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Obey the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Obey the word of the Lord. It blesses my heart to see you walking in the faith. Second, another way that um, you can honor me or whoever sits in the role of pastor here is I heard a, a pastor once say, he says, he loves the unexpected refreshments. Right, the unexpected refreshments. I'll, I'll never forget, just a few Sundays ago, someone from our church texted me on a Sunday morning and just said, hey, pastor, you've been on my mind. And I want you to know that I've been praying for you. That blesses my heart. Right, it's an unexpected refreshment. When, when people know that you breathe life into me, know that your words and your presence and your participation breathe life into me. So continue to walk in unexpected refreshments. Like some of you have come to me and said, I don't know why I'm doing this, but the Lord has laid this on my heart, and so here you go. And those are like... Completely unexpected, but they're refreshing and they're exciting and the Lord blesses us through those. And so I want you to know, church, I do feel well cared for by you. I do feel loved by you. I do feel as though you follow in the leadership that God has given me. And so thank you for loving me well. Thank you for loving my family well and caring for them well. Second of all, and we'll move quickly, uh, we need to respect our pastors. Look at me in verse 19. He says, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. Now, let me again give you this. This is encouched in the responsibility of Timothy, who is the elder. And so when elders are uh, when elders serve well, we saw in, in verse, uh, the first part of this passage, uh, when pastors serve well, they're to be honored. But sometimes when pastors or elders step outside of God's design, how is the church to bring correction? And this is what Paul gets into now. And so again, it's, it's not the church's responsibility, it's the elders' responsibility to help care for the pastors and elders of the church. And so this is what he says. Paul gives instructions on how to care for the elders well. But he says and has this understanding of there will come times when accusations will come against a pastor 
or an elder. There are times accusations come. Accusations come all the time. And Paul is giving instructions of how they'll be dealt with. So instead, he tells them that, um, that you're not going to be free from accusations. But, and sometimes the accusations are warranted. Sometimes the accusations aren't warranted. But here he gives instruction for the elders. So if there is an accusation, it must come with a minimum of two witnesses. It's preferred that there are three, but two witnesses come and give the accusation. Then the elders are to take the opportunity to look into the accusations, see if they're warranted, see if there's a place, and seek to um, make the, the elder or pastor aware of the offense and seek to see if there's repentance and reconciliation. For if repentance and reconciliation are, are met, then that leads to peace inside the fellowship. But in this sense, we see in these wordings, if the pastor persists or if the elder persists in this sin, if he's unwilling to be repentant and seek restoration or reconciliation, then they are to bring it before everyone. Now, that doesn't mean that every single offense, every single accusation gets brought forth in this um, forum, right? It, it, the, the accusations and the dealing of the offense deals with the appropriate, those that have been harmed by it or involved in it. So if I were to, on a Sunday morning, preach something that was completely heretical, and on Monday morning, 10 people are, are sending emails to our elders saying, hey, our pastor's gone off the rails. He's preaching things he probably shouldn't. Uh, can you guys check into this? Right? If, if it happens in this public forum, then it gets dealt in this public forum. Right? If, the, if the sin of the offense is done, cared for in that same way. If, if the offense is in a smaller group of people, then the offense gets brought before that smaller group of people and it gets dealt with in that way. And so the goal, what Paul is saying here, is the goal is not ridicule. The goal is not to ridicule a pastor or elder that has made mistakes or walked in sin, but the goal is restoration. So we see so many times that there, there's this danger of saying, hey, we, we don't want like, there to be any conflict. We don't, we don't want people to think that things are not okay. So there is this pressure as a church leader to try and take some things and sweep it under the rug. Like, like if we just don't address it, then it'll go away. Well, that's how the world operates. That's not how the church operates. Right? We're all sinful people. We're all fallen. We all have tendencies towards sins, and none of us are perfect. But the goal of the church is always restoration. It's always to restore those that have been redeemed. And so Paul lays out this process, and he says, hey, if, if the sin is exposed, it must be dealt with. Because that's where grace comes. That's where growth comes. That's where transformation comes. So we try to here deal with it in a, a way that is appropriate. So if you see one of our elders walking outside of God's design, don't just keep it to yourself. Like make others aware of it. Make the other elders aware of it first so that they can look into it and deal with it. But you know, these steps that Paul lays, Paul lays out here for calling out and dealing with sin don't just apply to elders. Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 gives us steps for dealing with sin inside the church family. 
How do we, as church members, as we're interacting with each other, when uh, we're obviously going to interact and at times we may hurt one another or harm one another, how are we to deal with it? Well, Matthew 18 lays that out. Matthew 18 tells us, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him of the offense. Like, go to him and tell him of the offense. Right? Don't go to your friends and say, can you believe what so-and-so did to me? That's an improper way of dealing with it. If someone has harmed you, or someone has sinned against you, go to that person directly and say, hey, maybe there's a misunderstanding here, but you did this, and this is how it made me feel, or I feel as though you've offended me in this way. And the Bible says that if you bring this offense towards your brother and your brother sees it, then you just won your brother back over again. That brings harmony. That brings unity. But then Jesus goes on in Matthew 18 and says, but sometimes when you bring your offense to your brother and he's like oblivious to it or he's belligerent to it, then he says, then what you're to do is to bring one or two other people with you. Then you go to the brother and share with them the offense. And if he repents, if he returns, then you've won your brother back. But there are times in which that may not happen. And so the next step is to tell the church. Meaning not that you come on a Sunday morning with your three people and you stand before the church and you say, can you believe what brother so-and-so did? No, we don't do that. Instead, we bring it to the elders. And at that point, the elders step in as representatives of the church and they walk through the situation. And if the brother listens, then uh, he's restored and uh, pieces, pieces ensued. But if he doesn't listen, the Bible tells us that we are to treat him as an unbeliever. That doesn't mean that we kick him out of the church. What it means is that we treat him as an unbeliever and then that means we treat him as though they don't know any better. And so we wouldn't ex- place expectations on their life that they would know how a Christian's supposed to respond if they're not responding like a Christian's supposed to respond. Right? Christians are supposed to respond when we have when someone comes to us. There should be a sense of repentance. There should be a sense of the Holy Spirit working inside of us saying, "Hey, you got to own what you did." And if we own what we did, then we can seek to, to walk in reconciliation. But there is, if there is no sense of I did nothing wrong, when someone is telling you, when the church is telling you, you've done something wrong, then there's a big problem. And so this is what Paul is getting to not only with pastors, but also in the church. My hope here for our church is that we would take this lesson to heart. Lots of damage could be done inside the family of God, but also to, to pastors and elders by just the way that we communicate. Right? If we, we need to care for each other's reputations. We need to care well for each other and walk together through difficult times. And we do this by showing respect. And thirdly, we must walk through times of selecting our pastors wisely. Look at me in verse 21. Paul writes, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angel to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some are obvious, reaching to the place of judgment ahead of them, and the sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. So what Paul now is moving into is this charge against Timothy as he's leading the church and to us in the church today. This, an amazing amount of weight has been given to, to leaders 
And he begins by saying, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels. So what, what Paul is reminding Timothy and reminding us today is that though this may seem at times like a human gathering together of humans, that God is representative and God is very present in this place called the church, inside the family of God. He's a witness of all the things that go on and he knows. And we even see this elect angel. I don't have time to dive into it too deep. But there's teaching in scripture that says that at the time of judgment that there are some elect angels that will participate in some part of the judgment. So Paul is reminding Timothy, and he goes even at the end of the passage, he says, there are some things in the church that seem unseen and maybe go unnoticed. There are some sins that people may see and they're like, well, that person's getting away with it. Let us be reminded that nothing here goes unnoticed and undealt with by God, our Heavenly Father. That's what he's saying. So even though you may, may seem everything comes out into the light in its proper time. And so we don't, as church members, we don't have to stress out about things. If we see things going on, we walk through the appropriate things. And even if the things aren't appropriately handled or they're handled in the way that we think they should be, let us be reminded that God is in control of all of these things. But then he goes on, he gives Timothy this charge. And he says, do nothing with, without partiality. And do nothing out of favoritism inside of the family of God, knowing that heaven is watching. Pastors are to lead well. It's important that they exercise impartial judgment. They don't walk through the, um, down the path of favoritism, but otherwise walk together. So, father, so pastors and elders are to guard themselves against favoritism. But then we're also to choose leaders wisely. Don't be hasty in laying on the hands of others. Especially as the church grows, there's the need for more and more leaders, more and more caretakers of the family of God. And, and Paul is saying, Timothy, don't, don't be hasty in, in laying on the hands too early, but let the man be proven before we lay hands on him. But then he goes on and he also charges him to care for his health. Right, this whole idea of drinking and all of this because leading the church can take its toll on a pastor. When a pastor walks with individuals as they walk through their own brokenness of life and they walk through great pain and they walk through great turmoils, it can take a toll on a pastor's life and on his health. And Paul's instructions to Timothy here, it, it seems as though Timothy had given up uh, the drinking of wine and only drinking water as, as a way of not being offensive to some inside the church. But Paul says, wait, not that he's saying, hey, you need to go out there and get drunk or anything like that. But what Paul is telling Timothy is to care for your health. It was an uh, understood practice of the day to drink a little bit of wine because of the, the alcohol in it and the other things actually were medicinal for the body. So that's what he's saying. He's, he's not condoning drunkenness or anything like that, but he's saying, like, Timothy, care for yourself. Care for your health. You can't serve the people of God, the family of God, if you're not well yourself. And so, in essence, he tells us at all to ultimately trust in the justice of God. We who are human are limited in our knowledge and we're limited in our wisdom. And in the church, sometimes sin can be obvious. So sometimes when it's obvious, it can be dealt with. But sometimes sin is, is dark and sin is deceptive. And we don't always see it. But when we do see it, know that we need to deal with it. 
but know also that God is always dealing with it. Elders are a gift to the church. Elders have a massive weight and responsibility in caring for the souls that God has brought here, but they're not ultimately the shepherd. I love how even in Jesus, as he talks about, I'll read this passage in a moment, talks about himself as the good shepherd. Right? Jesus is the good shepherd. Pastors and elders are under shepherds. Right? Imperfect shepherds. But we know that above all of them is Jesus. And Jesus says this in John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and the flock scatters. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Then Jesus reminds him, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and they shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. I'm so thankful that in every way, God is, or Jesus is the perfect shepherd. He shows us the life of the true shepherd. Not only does he know the sheep, but he's willing to lay down his life. Not that, something, not that someone took it from him, but Jesus willingly gave up his life so that we could be redeemed, so that we can know God. Maybe you're here today and you've never come to understanding or never come to um, laying your life down before Jesus. Maybe you've heard of Jesus your whole life, but you've never come to the place of trusting in him as your Lord and Savior. You can do that today by just calling on his name. Because the Bible tells us that anyone calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you're here and you want to know more about Jesus, I'd love to take some time to, to share with you more about him. But for the rest of us, those that are part of the family of God, let us be reminded just of the, the fact that we are a part of this family together. And God has given us uh, pastors and elders in our lives and in our church. And that it's our opportunity to honor them well. Let's pray together. Father. We thank you for your words today. We thank you for your truth. And Father, we pray today that we would take the teachings of your word and we would really take them to heart and implement them into our own lives. Father, I truly am grateful for our church family. I truly am grateful for the opportunity that I have to serve this campus, this church, this congregation. Father, thank you for the ways in which you've encouraged me over these years through this church. And I pray together, Father, that in the days to come, in the months to come, in the years to come, as we um, minister well together, Father, that we would all be one family, that we would grow in our love and appreciation for you and our love and appreciation for each other. Father, as we sing this song, may we just be reminded of your love for us 
and the work that you've done on our behalf. Father, we give you this praise and we give you this worship because you are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.